Hey folks, this is Always Be Watching. It's our weekly discussion about what we've been watching. There's two guys doing the watching and the discussion of said watching. My name is Dan Barrett and I'm joined by... Chris Yates. How are, how are you, Dan? It's great to be here. Look, I'm doing pretty good. I've been through the fire and I'm through the other side. Yes, you had a, you spent the day in hospital yesterday. How was that? Oh, it's a great day. You know what I've discovered about hospitals? What? Look, I spent a lot of last year rewatching ER. 15 seasons. Yep. Time well spent. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. In ER, they don't dilly-dally around. No, there's important stuff to happen in the emergency room. You've got to go, stat, and give me 50 cc's of something. Morphine. Exactly. And you squeeze in a lot of stuff within 60 minutes, Mm -hmm. including ads. Yeah, that's right. Okay, there's a lot going on. Uh You know what I found out about the Australian medical system? What's that? As good as it is, because I did not have a bill at the end of any of this. Exactly, yes. Just watch yourself. Okay. They weren't in a rush. No. (laughs) Medical activity, half an hour to three hours, waiting around for people to come and see me all day. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that. Yeah. Wouldn't make for as compelling television, would it, if all the waiting was included? Um, but it's great to see you alive and um, <laughs> out of hospital and uh, here and, yeah, as, as, you know, um, committed to the podcast as you always are. So Yeah, very much so. In fact, if I had to stay in for more than one day, there'd be a moment where I'm there wearing one of those little <laughs> outfits, like little gowns with like the back sort of revealing all behind, and I'd be working my way out of the hospital to get to the studio here to talk about what I've been watching. I could probably come to you, but then, uh, nah. not, as, not as interesting, not as good a vision, that's for sure. No. Um, Chris Yates. Yes. There's a website, alwaysbewatching.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, through that, people can sign up to the daily newsletter, mm-hmm. which has all sorts of screen-related stories. Also, twice a week you get some bonus content. One, there's a podcast. I don't need to sell people on that. They're listening to it right now. That's right. And if you're liking this podcast, leave reviews, helps other people find the show. Yes. On Friday afternoons, though, there's a bonus email that comes out late in the afternoon because on Friday nights, folks are sitting around thinking, what am I going to watch tonight? There's a guide to all of the new TV shows that have launched through that week, including for that Friday where new things come onto Netflix. So, like, all the new things are taken care of. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, that is great value for free. It is great value. The price is right. Mm. Uh, I often find myself at a bit of a loss as to what to watch on the weekend, so I just watch a peep show. Yeah. And look, that's a valid choice. <laughs> I should be I should be reading the late afternoon one, though. I'm usually a bit drunk by then. It's made for drunk people. Oh, cool. I'll definitely check yeah. it out. The short, like, synopses and play buttons. <laughs> Excellent. That's all you need. All right. Chris Yates, I'm sure you've watched something other than Peep Show, though. Do you I want have, to kick us off? I have. I do want to kick us off. Uh, and I want to kick us off with a show that I know is dear to both of our hearts. Uh, it's a little program called 30 Rock. I thought they would find it interesting, but they really did. Well, Kenneth, just respect their privacy. I promise I'll do better, Mr. Hormer. Sure you will. I just... I just love television so much. We all do. So both of us, just independently of each other, have both started rewatching 30 Rock. Yes. How far into your rewatch are you? I've just been sort of jumping all over the place. I'll be honest. I was watching it on the um, ABC Comedy Channel, uh, which I watch a lot of, obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's just been on a constant loop for the last however many months on there. What season? So I've been to? dipping in and out. At the moment, I couldn't even tell you. Um, but the I, I watched the f- oh no, well uh, you'll know because there was the the live episode was on the other day, which I've seen a mil- a many times. Okay, so that's after season three. So it's late. It's like four or five. Yeah. How long? Did, how many seasons altogether was there? I want to say eight. The thing that really... Seven? Yeah, that sounds about right. The thing that really blew me away, and I can be a little more specific, was I watched the I watched that pilot, and then I watched like the first two or three episodes of the first season. Because I think they play like three a night, so it's kind of like it's weird to dip in and out of it. But, yeah. Um, 
And because, of course, having watched it all very sequentially the first time around, it's interesting how well it works as kind of an episodic thing. But from the first episode, it is so on. Like, the characters are so defined. It's so funny. It's um, the introduction of Tracy Jordan happens in the first episode. So um, it's just like, it's just bang and it's going and it's solid and it's just fantastic. Here's the thing that I found strange about watching it. First of all, you're right. Like, they really get into the show super quickly. They know what they're coming to do, right? Yeah. Okay, so you get the idea of that. You've also got... I, I tend to just think that the show is magnificent from the first episode. Yeah. I think that the jokes still hold up remarkably well. Yeah. Okay, there's a few jokes they probably wouldn't make today. Yeah, there's quite a few, I think, which is, you know, for how old it is, which isn't that old, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so, true. Yeah, just the general mood's a bit different. So they probably wouldn't do those jokes today. But I think for the most part, it still holds up remarkably well. The jokes are still as good now as they were back then. A few of them, because that jokes around the entertainment industry of the time, like they're a little bit dated and you really have to remember some yeah. like failed NBC dra- uh, comedies to yeah. Yeah, sort of get the reference. But the one thing that I do think the show's fail- like, failed at completely is that when the show debuted, which I want to say is 2007... There was an interesting thing on NBC where you had 30 Rock and you also had the new Aaron Sorkin drama, uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Both of them are set around sketch comedy programs. And while the Sorkin show was heavily maligned by a lot of people and justifiably for a good portion of the episodes, right. there are some terrible episodes in there. There's also a few good ones that are sprinkled through it. I don't think I ever saw it at all. Yeah. But the thing that I got from watching Studio 60 was that they were recreating a Saturday Night Live type of show. And throughout the course of the one season that exists, you get a really sort of strong idea of the history of the program. You understand what the show is, its structure, the challenges of producing that as a show specifically. Like, they actually spend a fair bit of time doing that. There's a few things that don't make sense, like Matthew Perry's character for a while is like the sole writer on the show, and that makes no sense. They would never do that. They take you into a writer's room, and they take you in the process of rebuilding a writer's room at some point. Right, yeah. So you see the production side of things. 30 Rock... I have no idea, like, really what the shape of the girly show is. Like, is it sketch comedy? Because there's also these musical numbers. <laughs> it appears to be some kind of sketch comedy this. show. I feel like, yeah, it's a sketch comedy show with um, musical numbers. Yes, that's like, it. Is there a host on the show? <laughs> like, I really just have no idea about the actual you get structure right to the of that end. program. But perhaps this is a thing that, has, well, obviously, this is a thing that has never dawned on my, never crossed my mind. So maybe as somebody with a much more innate uh, interest in television and the production of it, therefore... Uh, you have picked up on that a little bit more. But no, you're right. I've never even thought about it before. Like, you do see some... Really, you just sort of see rehearsals, right? And you see... Well, the, in the pilot, you see a pretty good idea of the show, but that's the show in tatters and chaos and yeah. um, falling apart. And um, But also, I still don't know if there was a host of the show. Or... No, it was hard to kind of determine from that. And, like, Josh is one of the main cast members on the girly show, and he also seems to be in the writer's room a fair bit. But I don't understand what his role is, whether or not he's a uh, like a star of the series of The Girly Show or if he's just like an occasional day player on it. Right. Or what the deal is. Like, I just don't get it. No, me neither. But, Dan, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I think that sort of plays into how much... I mean, that's clearly it's very... It, it could almost be about anything, you know? Like, the, it's really just about the, the, the characters and how... Um, no, I don't think it actually can be just about anything. So the show itself, like, could kind of be anything. It could be a variety show. It could be a sketch comedy show, whatever. Yeah. But it firmly needs to be entrenched within entertainment because you've got the two characters of Jenna Malone well, you'd, yes. and uh, Tracy Morgan. 
Tracy Jordan. Tracy, Tracy Jordan. Jordan in the show, yes. So you got those two characters yeah, they who could are be very working much in entertainers. A, they could be working in a, a, a jeans shop. No, I don't know. No, I'm they just, can't. Like, just, it yeah. is very much about performance. <laughs> yeah, so it, I guess it is an interesting point. But I think that one of the things that maybe... I don't know. Like, There's just so many jokes packed into it that it's just kind of like... They were obviously trying to hit a high joke count, much like... Um, uh, the Kimmy Schmidt show, uh, which was, you know, um, Tita Fey's next, like, I guess her next thing after that, yeah. um, which is just a gag fest. We've all, I've talked at length about my love of that show and mostly for the same reason. Like, and, and I think you no- you notice that more on rewatching where it's not, you're not kind of that interested in the ongoing story, which is just ridiculous anyway. So you just get sort of swept up in the puns, I think. The online joke of 30 Rock towards the end of its run was that the show is really just a remake of The Muppets. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, yeah, and you can yeah, find, yeah. like, back in the day, there used to be lots of memes showing you, like, a comparison. Sure, as, you know, sure. Obviously, Liz Lemon is the Kermit the Frog character. And, yes. Yeah. You've got all that taking place. But I was thinking about the idea that the show could be any, like, thing. And I think it has to be, like, an entertainment-based venture. But I'd be interested to see the show, because I look at her, and it's very much about sort of carny folk. And then it, <laughs> right. well, it is, it's kind of about, you know, people putting on a show every week. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking, like, it could just be like a carny show, effectively, and yeah. it's still, the structure of it, it'd still work. Yeah, p- probably perfectly well. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, do, is there any key episodes that you have, that have really stuck out for you in your rewatching? Probably, like, there isn't really, like, a key episode that sort of jumped out. And this is probably part of the problem that I'm watching it as a binge. And it's just, like, right, yeah. a constant stream of <laughs> yes. just episode after episode. Uh, what I think maybe has jumped out at me more is uh, some of the small little sketches and stuff that sort of makes right. their way through. And the way that it gets reincorporated back into the show. So, in the very early episodes, you've got references to some of Tracy Jordan's movies over the years. <laughs> and they always turn up as posters in the background of various things. Not necessarily just in his room but like yeah yeah uh, in, in know, the world in the in, green room but also just in the world like yeah. there'll be references to these movies like who dat ninja <laughs> yeah that's right it's, yeah. it's so you've got yeah. that but also there was like a clip once where they played a um holiday sh- a holiday song that he had recorded as a novelty right. and it was werewolf bar mitzvah yeah where visually it looked a lot like uh, michael jackson's yeah. thriller video yeah uh but there was a scene where they had like a party and just in the background you could you could hear werewolf bar mitzvah playing that's yeah that's a very good observation yeah i um noticed that at uh, in the first sort of series at least um, he's mostly kind of based on Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence and you know there's a lot of jo- like there's literal jokes like when Martin Lawrence kind of lost his mind and was out in the traffic yeah. in his underwear like that happens to Tracy and obviously a bunch of the movies are um, I'd forgotten that's what that was in reference to yeah well there you go that's one of those time based kind of things I guess yeah. and then um, you know obviously there's like references to the sort of the clumps is it the Eddie Murphy movies where yeah, yeah. you know so there's meet a fake the version of it meet the clumps so there's those kind of things as well but then by the end of it by the end of the series is it like who that mama or something (laughs) maybe i'm just getting confused with fat mama's house and and who that ninja um but the uh yeah by the end of it they're just self-referencing crazy tracy morgan's own off-screen antics which themselves became a little bit um problematic and interesting until they just became sad yeah and there was there was a really funny there's a really great i don't know like there's a there's a really interesting thing i should say i found it very funny where liz lemon is apologizing in the show for actions of tracy morgan the same way that she apologized for the little actions of tracy jordan off the show by basically just saying you know like he's not a he's not a homophobe he's not a whatever i think it was i think it was terribly homophobic comments that he made in a stand-up setting that sparked some outrage um 
he's just a moron. Like she's just saying, like he's just an idiot. He doesn't even he doesn't believe that stuff. He doesn't believe anything. He's just an idiot. And it was kind of like you know whether or not you would uh, forgive him for that is completely <laughs> it's completely understandable if you don't. But um, it was just an interesting way of kind of dealing with that controversy. I thought. I also thought it was weird that they didn't introduce because like they do with that real world bleed a bit. Yeah, and because I've been watching seasons two and three recently, and so that's the same time period that Tina Fey was doing the um, Sarah Palin stuff yeah, on yeah, Saturday yeah, Night Live. Yeah. But there was no real reference to that. Like, through I thought it'd be some sort of throwaway. Yeah, it's it's, it's a strange. Well, yeah, it was it was just a it was a very in, it was very interesting and very strange the way they decided to choose what they would reference from the real world. I guess, but yeah, yeah. I mean, was, it was such a love letter to television. So I was watching recently in a season three episode and they recreated what should have been the final episode of Night Court. Right, yes. That's very- And I've only got two of the original cast members. So yeah. it's um, Harry Anderson and I can't think of the name of the female lead in a show. Me um, neither. Marky Post? I wouldn't have known Harry Anderson. I-, I think it's Marky Post. We'll go with it. I think Chris is furiously typing away his phone and see if that's true. I just, um, yeah, the name Marky Post is very familiar. I want to put a face to it, and this is the best way to do it. Now, things to keep in mind about Night Court. First of all, greatest theme song ever committed for oh, a TV show. Absolutely. Second thing is that I like that in the episode they recreate the Night Court opening credits and have original you know, credits from the show. But they also insert, because apparently Jenna Maloney had been a last-minute addition to the cast as a werewolf lawyer. Very strong werewolf themes throughout yes, the series. Yes, yes, uh, And so they've got, like, an insert clip of her as, like, the werewolf lawyer. They didn't have John Larroquette back? Is he No, dead? they made a joke about how Larroquette was busy. Busy. Yeah. Is he, he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, there Lar- you go. He's still regularly in things. I look forward to mourning him on the internet. Not in a bad way. <laughs> no, I don't mean I look forward to his death. I mean, I look forward to enjoying the things that he has done in the past. How dare you? He's great. Harry Anderson also, you might remember. From- Harry the Hat. Yeah, Harry the Hat from Cheers. Mm. I think the first episode of Cheers, maybe. I could be wrong about that. Definitely first season. He's I don't think very, very he's early He's in the first on. season. Yeah, it's not the first very episode. early on. Um, yeah, so anyway, wow, now we're, it's covering all the bases of all the great television. But as you said, a love letter to television. These are all the things it inspires. Yeah. And who greater to um, represent that love letter than Kenneth DePage, who just is so obsessed with the uh, idea of it. And he's kind of like the spiritual uh, voice of television, isn't he, throughout the entire thing? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, 30 Rock. Hats off to 30 Rock. If you haven't watched it in a while, if you're sitting around the house with not much to do, I think it's a good idea to... Uh, Watch some 30 Rock. Yeah, I can't believe we talked about 30 Rock, 30 Rock for this long. Well, I was actually thinking that'd be a really fun one to get a bit deeper into and maybe, you know, like... It's a show that I think is well worth a rewatch. It's so infinitely you, rewatchable, I reckon. Yeah, if you haven't seen it for a while, give another look. I think you'll be surprised at how well it's aged. And especially with all the other rewatchable shows, um, such as, you know, of our kind of modern time, which such as The Office, which we know is the most rewatched show on Netflix yeah. now, and um, even Parks and Recreation, which is arguably better and, you know, very, very funny and great, but just not having that... Um, documentary style is actually incredibly refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. To, to watch that for a while. So, yeah. There's a couple of other shows that I wish were a bit more widely available. So, I mean, Cheers is obviously yeah. the big thing, which it is available here on Ten All Access. Oh, really? But yeah, you can find it on a few different streaming services in the US. But Night Court is a show that I would love to rewatch again because I've seen a few episodes of that and it still holds up reasonably well. Yeah, it's still very funny, right? I remember, what, and like, I my uh, watching that would have been really late at night on, you know, Channel 9 or something when I was in high school, I reckon they yeah. used to play that. 
back all those hundreds of years ago. Uh, and yes, was very, very into it. <laughs> but yeah, like it's a show that if you weren't really around and it went for like 11 years from memory. Yeah, it's like right. 11 or 13 years. It's like a crazy long time. But like there'd be a lot of people who don't even know the show today because it just hasn't been anywhere. Well, and it's like Taxi, right? It's Taxi still, as far yeah. as I know, not available anywhere in I, any kind of real way. In, you can find it in the US on Hulu. Right. And it sort of crops up a few places, but it's just not really part of that pop cultural No, which it should be. Yeah. Great and shows. Night Court. Yes, great shows. Mm. And um, probably also referenced in 30 Rock. Um, but that's probably enough for me on 30 Rock and enough from you on 30 Rock. Uh, unless we're going to change the name of this podcast to 30 Rock. And I'm not entirely against that. All right, let's think yeah. about it. Uh, I did do, because <laughs> I was in the US two years ago. I went to 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Of course. And because I hadn't rewatched 30 Rock like for ages up until I went there. But when I've been watching this, like just noticing how much location shooting they do around oh, the yeah, building. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's just done there. Yeah. Um, excellent. Well, uh, I'm, that brings us to the end of the show. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what have you been watching, Dan? <laughs> Look, I decided this week I was going to watch the show that everyone's talking about, Euphoria. <laughs> I'd like to get up and tell us a five-minute story about your summer. At some point, you make a choice about who you are and what you want. Chris, I suggest that everybody was talking about it. Quick question for you. Do you even know what this is? I've never heard of Euphoria, Dan. Oh, well, I've heard of The State of Mind, but not for a while. Yeah. Well, Euphoria is HBO's new drama series. They're advertising it quite heavily through the Game of Thrones. Uh, that's why I don't know about it. This show has a lot of... Uh, I don't want to use the word scandal around it, because it's not really scandalous if the show hasn't actually debuted yet. I'm interested. And people don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. But there's a children's... Like, a group of, um, you know, god-botherers in the US of whom are obsessed with the idea that, uh, you know, the children are being scandalized sure. by all manner of shows. They've latched onto this one thing. Oh, my God, why won't anyone think of the kids? Euphoria is a teen drama in that it's about teenagers. They are taking a huge amount of drugs. They are having a lot of the sex, Chris. Right. They're having the sex. It's, it's half representative of my own teenage years. I'm, yeah. I'm interested. Yeah, halfway there. <laughs> so they're having the sex. They are showing the bits. Right. There is a scene in the first episode where you see an erect penis, Chris. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's a little bit blurred out and it's not quite the focus of the scene. But even so, because you see them so infrequently on TV, <laughs> yes, it is the focus of the scene. It's still shocking, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, there's a transgendered lead in it. Yeah. Okay. You've got essentially teenagers being depicted with all frank honesty. The, yes, I can see why the Christians don't like it. Yeah. Well, it's this. It's a lobby group. I'm not saying it's the Christians. I'm not, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not. The thing that's fascinating watching this program is that one, first of all, I don't think it's amazing. I think that is interesting, okay. and I'm not sure if I'm going to come back for it. How uh, much have you watched? I've watched only the first episode. Oh, right. But the reason why I'm not entirely sure I've bought into it just yet is because I'm not sure the show is really for me, or anyone who's maybe sort of later than that late 20s sort of time sure. period of their lives. I don't think it's for teenagers either. Mm. So I think it really fits into, like, I'm sure HBO, when they were banding it around, it, like, you know, it's the 18 to 35 right. show. So... When you're watching the show, I think it's very much interested in teenage behaviours, but only in a way that I think that teenagers and, like, kids as well, just generally, tend to look up 
when uh, looking for entertainment. Like, yeah. If you think, oh, it's a 10-year-old, they're probably watching the stuff that's really geared towards 12-year-olds yes, rather than the is... things that you explicitly think of for 10-year-olds. Yeah, for sure. I think there becomes a certain point in a lot of viewers' lives where they stop looking up and instead start looking back. <laughs> yes. And so if you think about the success of like your Beverly Hills and and Dawson's Creek, you'll find that a big chunk of those audiences are always people in their like early to mid to late 20s. Yep. And so there's a sense of nostalgia, I think, that plays yeah, back absolutely. into watching these shows. And the audience, like there will be teenagers watching these things, but I think the bigger audience is those thinking back to what it was. And when you look at the behaviors of the teenagers in these shows, it's always very much reflective of the behaviors of people in their 20s just in a high school environment. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, part of that's bad writing, part of that's also because that's actually the audience and uh, kind of living their own lives through this high school setting. And I think Euphoria is very much that. Hmm. And in a lot of ways, it feels very much like a um, 90210 meets Brett Easton Ellis's Rules of Attraction. Yeah, yeah, If sure. you ever read that book, I have, that's yeah. the film. It's I read the book, Dan. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, you're, you're a literary I'm a, type. I'm, I'm a literary type. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a very good book. Uh, I'm not so sure no, about the, the film. No, the movie's kind of terrible, but yeah. The, the film's got, it's got its charms, yeah. but it's not great. That thing, it's very much about disillusioned youth, like in a college environment of whom are taking a lot of drugs and they've got the privilege as well as to be able to afford their copious drug taking yes. throughout. Here, you don't really have the disaffected wealthy kids. It's really just everyday kids of whom seems to be able to afford to plunk down 150 yeah, bucks yeah, to yeah, buy, right. whatever. And that's where the show loses me a little bit. Like you don't have the affluence to be able to support this lifestyle. And you also don't have the crime element involved for people who don't have the money to support the lifestyle yeah, yeah, to sure. maintain their life and the lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the show, like, it just kind of feels a little bit off, and I feel that I'm past that stage in my life where I've got nostalgia for living my high school years. <laughs> okay. Yes, me but, too. Jesus. But it's, it's still kind of good, and I might stick with it just to sort of see how it like, fits Yeah, in. interesting. If it's pissing people off, I'll probably watch a little bit of it yeah. just for that reason. Like, it's interesting. I think it's very bold, audacious TV that I'm glad that there's something out there, yeah. like, really, you know, swinging for the fences. Yeah. yeah. It's good that there's someone making that stuff. Uh, also, it'll have one of your favorite Disney Channel stars, Zendaya, you know <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, for the first episode, it's very much a... Uh, one of my favourite genres of teen films is the everything happening over the one night. Yes. Okay, the Richard so, Linklater style. Yeah, very much so. Uh, also, you can look to like your Can't Hardly Waits. And, yes. Uh, Super Bad is probably a, another good one. So the first episode of this is there's a party taking place and it's like the lead up to the party and the after effects. Awesome. Yes, yeah. I like that idea too. Mm. So cool. it's quite good. And I'd like to think they'll play around with sort of genres of teenage like films going forward as well. Yes, because of course there has been a well, relatively wealth of the, you know, there's a lot of great teenage films. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a it's a great strong genre. There certainly used to be anyway. Maybe that's what I should say. But that's probably just because I've tuned out for exactly the reasons you said before. Is that like I watched all that stuff in my twenties yeah. and loved it. And that's it. Maybe not so much anymore. And when I was a teenager. Uh, so Chris, yes, I hear. I feel this is where it's going. What have you been watching? All right, so uh, I've been watching a lot of music documentaries. I'm going to I'm going to talk about one in particular that uh, has got a lot of uh, attention at the moment because it has just been um, put onto the Netflix, which is the uh, Rolling Thunder Review, the Martin Scorsese film of a Bob Dylan something or other. It's got a long title. The idea was to put a tour up. We should be playing twenty thousand seats, but instead it wanted all these small venues. We're really running short of time. Boy, sure hope you get to Boston on time. Where have you been? The tour was a catastrophe. 
It wasn't a success. Not if you measure success in terms of profit. The nation was so divided. So they embarked on a journey through America. So do you know much about this, historically? I know that it exists, but I don't really know much about the film, and I keep meaning to look for it, and I just haven't. I'm only going to talk about the first half of the film, because it's uh, there's reasons for that, um, and it, it's interesting enough to talk about it that uh, for that reason, and I'll get to why I won't talk about the second half. But um, basically... Massive concert. We're talking about it's the I think it's 1978, kind of ten years after 70 something, ten years after Bob Dylan has taken over the world as the tambourine man. Um, you know, the peace and love is kind of the hippie movement's p- past its prime. Thank God. <laughs> Why do you hate hippies, dear? <laughs> um, and Bob Dylan is like basically the greatest living songwriter and artist, and people are you know still worshipped you know across the world, but it's certainly across America, and um, he's been given an infinite amount of money to put on this concert tour and travel around travel around America in an old oldie-style review-type show, um, which is quite, uh, you know, like it's a little bit, it's sort of a country music kind of thing, I think, or in a, a folky American, you know, sort of style of thing. Like a bluegrassy style thing. Kind of like a travelling, you know, a whole bunch of bands and a travelling lineup that all sort of jump in and out of each other's stages, and it's a very traditional kind of thing, which I think would have been born out of the country folk kind of era. Um, but yes, was, you know, the, the, the premise for this kind of tour, and so it's Bob Dylan and a of incredibly amazing musicians from that from that era, um, recreating a lot of you know, or basically just playing everything from his back catalogue, writing new stuff. Um, it's, it's made by Martin Scorsese, and uh, you know just because of that, obviously, and because of the budget, it, I'm pretty sure it had a theatrical release, right? I think I don't think it's I don't think it's a made for Netflix thing. I think it came out in the uh, on the on the circuit first. I'm not entirely sure, but um. The uh, so like the actual and lots of footage. So there's been a lot of footage from this before because it was all filmed and it was um, you know produced as a as a concert that you could that you could watch um, at the movies probably in the 80s or whatever. And then on and, and then on VHS. Um, so like a lot of the footage has been around before. Was it on laserdisc? <laughs> probably was on laserdisc. But um, the of course modern uh, treatment of all this stuff and how well they've been able to get the quality the quality of the sound and the quality of the footage rest- restoration obviously with um, you know Martin Scorsese probably had a large amount of money to do this with as well uh, it's just phenomenal like it's like nothing I've ever seen before it's nothing like nothing I've ever heard before like it's it's like you're in the room with these people you're watching them set up microphones in a drunken kind of drug fueled haze as they just kind of chuck stuff on a stage together or in a party and it's just incredible to watch um, from a purely concert kind of point of view, it's incredibly interesting and it's really fascinating. Uh, and the, you know, historically, like the people involved are nuts. Like there's, um, uh, you know, just a, a an absolute you know rolling cast of all the of all the great musicians of the time. Particularly amazing Patti Smith scene early on in the film, which won't. Ruin so anything. just to understand exactly what the structure of this is. Yes, we're not watching necessarily the actual concert itself. We're watching everything around the concert. So we're watching a lot around the concert. So basically. There was a a film a film director was hired to make this film to make a film and follow them around and yep. Dylan didn't want to borrow it so he kind of doesn't interact with the filmmaker at all who just was left to his own devices and had to just sort of figure it out and try to patch a story together using the hangers on and stuff um, 
and that is mostly what he kind of focuses on looking back in this documentary like he's a uh, and it's really funny because he clearly hated them he was from that ho- he was he was uh he's european i'm just trying to find out where he's from and he um just really hated that he, he, he saw it as an opportunity to exploit this kind of uh, idea of american vacu- vacuousness and was trying to really um you just know stick it to the yanks yeah in 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 some kind of way and i guess maybe dylan picked up on that and it was an easy uh so he didn't he didn't want to borrow it I mean, he was all you know he was always a bit of tr- trouble to deal with with the press anyway so this guy kind of focuses on a, a lot of the other characters but anyway at various stages other other crazy things start happening so they realize there's not really anything going on so they hire a scriptwriter to write a lot of stuff to sort of help out in a sort of story kind of setting and as it sort of boils along, you, you become aware that massive parts of this film aren't actually documentary at all and are kind of fictionalised. And then you, get, you, you become aware that, like, whole entire scenes have probably been set up. And as the film goes on further and further, it's, it becomes more and more obvious and there's this kind of, like, incredible mystery that surrounds the whole thing now and, like, um, a lot of, you know, people are coming out of the woodwork to talk about the things that are true and about it and the things that are fa- so false. And So the Scorsese documentary is about the making of this movie. It's about the making of the concert movie, I okay. guess. But, uh, but it's also a recreation of it. It's like, so it's also, you know, using the... Um, it's also a, an opportunity to really... Like, there's decent chunks of music. It's kind of... It's not a concert film, but there's enough stuff in it that gotcha. if you're watching it for that reason, you know, you're going to definitely have enough in there to get going. And it's two and, you know, two and three-quarter hour kind of running time. So a lot of that is the performance. And that's why... You know, that's 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 why the level of detail they've put into the restoration of that is just mind blowing. It sounds like Inception. It's a little Inception-y. It's fantastic. Like I just can't. I wasn't. I'm not a massive Dylan guy, obviously. Probably from how I've been describing it, but from a. But I am a really. I'm really big into concert films, and I'm, I'm really into um, music documentaries and just sort of and especially anything that subverts it a little bit is excellent because otherwise they can be so similar. So to get kind of get this insight is just fantastic. So why did you only watch half of it? Well, I didn't only watch half of it, but I only want to talk about half of it because the way that it kind of un- unravels at the end is very interesting. And gotcha. I didn't want to reveal too much more okay. about where it actually goes other than that. But um, it, it, it could be watched in a few... <laughs> it is a long thing, so maybe you, it could watch it in a few settings. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of it. I do, a lot of the, the juicy stuff is towards the end, so it's worth... Okay, I'm going to give this a look. I, oh, I think you'll really enjoy it. And I think just like, it's really, I think even as a casual kind of film watcher or somebody who's really, I mean, it's so beautifully made. It's Scorsese. It's incredibly well edited. It's, it's you know, set in the time. Like, you know, they do a really good job of talking about America at that time because it's all obviously integral. And Bob Dylan was such an Im- important part of the American cultural um, revolution and the movement. And then, you know, kind of, this is before he kind of faded off into a weird kind of, place in the 80s it's fantastic yeah and so it's on netflix now uh the bob dylan rolling thunder review highly recommended i'll give this a look dan what have you been watching well here's the thing so this is more of an experiential thing than what i've oh. been watching oh, this is good tied into euphoria i've got to decide to go for a theme this yeah week. uh euphoria as i mentioned was very much a night in the life of a whole bunch of teenagers mm-hmm there's a film which very much pioneered this as a genre. It was called American Graffiti. Get that special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown and catch American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Baby, what's that? It's a movie. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go back in time. Where were you in 62? Is that you in that beautiful car? Jeez, what a waste of machinery. 
Now, Chris, over the weekend, I was fortunate enough to realize that they were playing American Graffiti at the drive-in. What? And first of all, I'd been kind of thinking about re-watching American Graffiti. So to find out that I was playing at the drive-in, I was like, I've got to get along to this. I've never seen it. It's, is it George Lucas directing Richard Cunningham? Is this correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we'll get to that aspect in just Excellent. a moment. So American Graffiti is like the ultimate drive-in movie. The entire film is very much about teenagers in, I want to say it's Indiana, but it's definitely like Midwest USA. It's directed by George Lucas. His first film? No, second film. Well, it's his first like actual film. Uh, THX 1138 is his first film. Right. But that was made as like a university film. I don't think it's strictly... Yeah. I think that's how that plays out. I think it got like released later on after he was famous sort of thing. I think so. So this is first film, and it's very much teenagers just driving around, getting involved in, you know, just hijinks throughout the evening. So it starts out like about nine o'clock at night and takes its way through. Oh, so it's a one-night film? So it's a one-night film. Fantastic. Yeah. And it absolutely pioneers this genre. And if you watch any film that's followed her, it's very much just that. Uh, My partner, she had never seen American Graffiti either. Didn't even know what it was. She just agreed to come out, you know. I I think you have to introduce her as a long-suffering partner. Long-suffering partner. I'm just kidding. She's sitting in the car and she's like, this is just like super bad, except not as good. (laughs) (laughs) And I was trying to explain to her that, you know, this is definitely the template for it all. Yeah, sure. It's where it all began. People driving around in cars and that's pretty much the entire thing. Wow. Okay, but it's the ultimate drive-in movie because it's very much about 50s Americana in a way that a lot of drive-ins are structured around the idea of 50s Americana. Yes. And you go to a lot of drive-ins and you go to like the like snack stand, the concession stand, and you always find like 50s stuff in there, like jukeboxes. Totally, yeah. There is like burger bars and they're made up with like the stuff in the wall. And the one in Sydney, the Blacktown drive-in, which is our only drive-in here, is very much like geared around like this 50s sort of look. Awesome. So it's kind of cool to go to a drive-in, watch a film from uh, what is set in the 50s, okay? But also, because it's American Graffiti and set in the 50s and about car culture, it was a magnet for anyone of whom has a souped-up hot rod that they've been working on for years to also bring their car to see and be seen. Wow. So the entire drive-in, which was only about three-quarters full, maybe, but at least half of the cars there were all, like, cool souped-up hot rods. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What car were you in? Uh, I was in a Subaru. (laughs) (laughs) Something, something. Subaru is the the best answer to that question. Uh, Anyway, it was very cool. It was a fun environment to be in. How cool. But American Graffiti, if you've never watched the film, so you've seen Happy Days. I never have. Yes, I have seen Happy Days. More familiar with Happy Days. So this came out before Happy Days. Yeah. It stars Ron Howard as one of the leads. Okay. It also has Richard Dreyfuss in it and Charles Martin Smith. And you're like, I don't know who that guy is. I don't know. He's around. You'd know if you saw him by face. I'll look him up. Yeah. Uh, And also another guy that I can't remember exactly who that is. And the first screen appearance by one Harrison Ford. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Holy cow. Cindy Williams plays Ron Howard's girlfriend in it. Wow. Is this... um, Is it it sort of... Is it really similar to Dazed and Confused? Yeah, absolutely. Dazed and Confused is completely taking the template of American Graffiti. It sure sounds like... Because it's even quite car-based as well. Yeah. There's a lot of... Wow. Absolutely. You'll find very strong similarities between both films. So, because this film came out, and it was a huge success, there hadn't really been a film like this at the time, and it did Bonzo Box Office. Bonzo Box Office. I like it. That's our, no- our next podcast. <laughs> did remarkably well, uh, to the point where they thought they'd make a TV series based from it, and that's how Happy Days came to be. Wow. And you look at the cast of this thing, with Ron Howard playing the, you know, the lead in this, plays a very Richie Cunningham sort of a character. But then also you got Cindy Williams, who later went on to be uh, Laverne, Laverne and Shirley. Yes, or was she of Shirley? One of them. I never really watched that show. 
She was one of them. Uh, yeah, because the other one was um, film director. Yeah, Penny, Penny Marshall. Marshall right? uh, the late Penny Marshall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as of a few weeks ago. Way, way to bum me out, Dan. Yeah, sorry, dude. Um, Wolfman Jackson it too. I Wolfman noticed. Jackson How good is Playing that? himself. How good is that? Or playing a guy that's a late night radio DJ. Yeah. Yeah, but Wolfman Jack is a character in it. His, um, Although it's unsure whether or not it's actually Wolfman Jack that we meet. He's credited as disc jockey. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. But anyway. How it's, cool. It's a lot of fun. The film... I don't know if I could say it really holds up, but if you want to look at a slice of nostalgia of the 50s through the eyes of the 1970s, it's interesting. You know, absolutely I do. And even though it doesn't have Potsy in it, I still think I'll find stuff to like about it. So if you ever watch the first like season or two of Happy Days, you'll find that it's not filmed in, a stu- in front of a studio audience. Right. And it actually has the same look and feel of American Graffiti. Wow. And so they just kind of adapted it to become more like and a traditional like sitcom. Yeah. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. Amped up the fonts and yeah, went for <sighs> Gosh, it. Gosh, the fonts. Yeah. Now, Chris, before yes. we get out of here, yes. I want to do one other thing I've been watching recently. Mm-hmm. There's a show that went to air, as we record this, it was re- went to air last night in Adelaide on their community TV station. Oh, my God. The, the, yeah, keep yeah. going. I'm uh, interested. It will also be screening this week, I believe, on the Melbourne community station, and I forget the other community that's playing on. Uh, I'm not even sure if there's one in every city I don't think there, there isn't anymore, no. I don't think Perth's got one anymore. No. Maybe it still does. There's some tension around that. Yeah, it's all Anyhow, in difficult days. Yeah. Uh, Ed on C uh, Channel 44 mm-hmm. in Adelaide, made for Channel 44 in Adelaide. It is a show by David M. Green, who's a writer on the McAuliffe uh, oh, yeah. show on the ABC. He also produces a whole bunch of interesting things for online. One of his most recent projects that I liked was this thing called VHS Review, which is him doing these five-minute reviews of some tape that he's got. Right. And might be like an episode of Wise Guy. Right. Okay, and so he's just like, he introduces Wise Guy and doesn't really know what the show is. But he's more interested in the ads that are airing in between. Oh, my God. So he plays these ads in full and focuses on like two or three ads. Very and so good. the actual VHS ripped ads from back in the day, and it's filled with jokes. That's fantastic. Yeah. What a great concept. It's very good. His new thing, though, is this thing called Good Afternoon Adelaide. Which is him recreating what a daytime TV show was made for the local Adelaide TV market. And it's very much a, like, 1984 era... Wow. Yeah. uh, Daytime show. But what's great about it is that it's not loaded with jokes. It's just loaded with awkward daytime TV production. (laughs) And if you remember the local daytime shows like that that used to exist sure I do they weren't really slickly produced like they are today no no like they were long and meandering and just like we're filling up time yes uh, so apparently there was one season before which I was ignorant of uh, but David insisted to me today that it actually existed because <laughs> uh, I was trying to chase down the thing so it's going to be online like you'll find it on the YouTube very soon excellent. so if you follow the always be watching newsletter I'll definitely put it in there once it's available excellent but the show itself it goes for about half an hour and it's focused around the attempts by some daytime hosts to drive a bus and do a stunt jump over <laughs> over like one of those sort of bridges that opens in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it is very much just about the process of talking to the bus driver for way too long. Wow. For talking to the police officer who's doing the safety checks on it all. Like, it is just... It's not funny, yeah. but that's what's so funny about it. Yeah, yeah, it this, sounds fantastic. If you watch things like Tim and Eric, and you wonder why it is that you don't have things like that in Australia, this is the show you're looking for. Yeah, right. It is absolutely that kind of an approach to doing television. 
Long overdue, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah. And also has period era ads, which have been made for. So it's not original ads. It's, wow. Yeah. I guess that would. There's be, a great one involving caravans. Would they have to get? I guess it would be a licensing nightmare trying to get trying to find the guy that used to run the you know the local bottle shop who did the ads about. Yeah, you can kind of get away with it on YouTube, but not when you're airing it on community television. No, Chris. that's right. The lawyers come out for community TV. <laughs> well, it's but nice. yeah, anyway. It's great. I think people need to check this out. Excellent. And I've, the show is called Good Afternoon Adelaide. And it's fab. I, and I guess there's a, is there a Sean McAuliffe connection there because he was from Adelaide, wasn't he? He, he was, was. He was on community TV in Adelaide even, I believe. I'm not sure if that's true. Definitely community radio at least. Yeah. Uh, so this is really just because <laughs> David M. Green is also previously from Adelaide and yeah. has a love affair with the place. As are, yeah. as are some other people, uh, famous people, uh, wonderful people such as you yourself, Dan. Look, I will say that I definitely got all of the references. <laughs> uh, this has been Always Be Watching. It it's has a, been. It's a podcast that me and Dan do um, <laughs> once a week. I think people would have figured that out by now. Uh, and yeah, um, Dan will tell you about all the places you can get it. Uh, you can get it in places where you get podcasts. That's It's that easy, people. Yeah, except for Google Podcasts, because I didn't submit it there for some reason. I've got to fix that up. All right. We'll, yeah. we'll be on to that. We're on to that. Yeah. Chris, let's get out of here. All right, Dan. It's been a pleasure talking to you this week. It has also been a pleasure from my end. <laughs> 